you uh, brought a Bible with you or have access to one on your phone, um, would you now please open it to the book of Colossians that's in the New Testament? As a friend of mine used to say, just ease through Ephesians, flip through Philippians, and collide with Colossians. I don't know why I remember those things. I can't remember anything else, but I remember inane, silly stuff. I'll ask Jesus that when I get to heaven, but I, I may already know by the time I get there. Hear now the word of the living God as we read just two verses in chapter 2 of Colossians, verses 6 and 7. Therefore, as you... Receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Now turn to the gospel according to Luke, and we will look at chapter 17 and the story of the ten lepers. Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 19. By the way, leprosy was worse than COVID. <laughs> it, was, it was worse than anything you could think of to get leprosy because, number one, it isolated you from everyone else. You couldn't approach people. You had to cover your face. And uh, digits like fingers and toes broke off easily because of the disease, because it numbed you. Lepers always seemed to be crippled. And, of course, lesions attended it as well. So it was not only despicable but, but gross and, and hard to deal with. And so in Luke chapter 17, we have this narrative. On the way to Jerusalem... He, that is Jesus, was passing along between Samaria and Galilee, and as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers, who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. This is God's word. Let us pray. Father, we do pray today that you would grant to us the glorious ministry of the Holy Spirit as he ministers to us, even this day, the word of the living God. And we pray that your powerful word would work in our lives in such a way to show us who we really are and how much we need Jesus and how uh, Jesus is perfect in every way for our souls. And this we pray in Christ's name. Amen. 
So today we are looking at gratitude. Thanksgiving is coming up on Thursday. I once had a good friend who was at my house visiting and uh, I left the room and while I was out of the room my good friend looked at my father and said isn't it great that Thanksgiving is going to be on Thursday this year. When I got back in the room, he went out to go to the facilities. My dad looked at me and said, that boy ain't right. Something's wrong with him. But Thanksgiving is coming. And, you know, do you really need another sermon telling you you should be grateful? Do you really need to be confronted with hundreds of platitudes? I call them Hallmark Cardisms on how to have an attitude of gratitude, how to cheer yourself up, how to uh, develop a very better personal men mental attitude. But when you think about it, it's important sometimes to ask yourself, am I grateful? How, how am I doing with gratitude? Is gratitude a growing thing in me? Is it thriving or is it being swallowed up and stifled by life? Is your response to God one of ever-increasing gratefulness, or do you find yourself murmuring, complaining, moaning, and groaning? I love that word murmur. Murmur, as I learned in English when I was a kid, is an onomatopoeia word. That means the meaning is equivalent to what the word sounds like. And there was a lot of murmuring and grumbling in the tents in the Old Testament when the Israelites were fed up with manna. In the New Testament, the Greek word for moaning and complaining and murmuring is the word gogizomai. And so when you think of the word gogizomai and you say it over and over about five times, it sounds pretty bad, doesn't it? Why is gratitude such a challenge for us? Or why do we find ourselves rarely engaging in it? Are you counting your blessings one by one? Or are you reciting curses under your breath? So is this going to be one more lecture on how to have a positive mental attitude or an attitude of gratitude filled with platitudes and moralistic principles? God forbid. If gratitude is only a duty for you, a have to, it is hardly the grateful response that the Word of God anticipates from us as believers. So let's think about gratitude in the following ways. And I have in your bulletin three points that I want to cover in our time together. First, what is a grateful heart or what a grateful heart is? Second, how do we get it? How do we get a grateful heart? How do we sustain a grateful heart? Who creates it? Where does it come from? How do we get it? And number three, what a grateful heart looks like. That is, how do we know we have a grateful life? What does it look like in real flesh and blood? So when we finish these three things, we will be done. First, the Bible tells us over and over again that there are admonishments in Scripture for us to have a grateful heart. If you read the Psalms, you read the Gospels, the Scriptures we have, Colossians 2 says we're to be overflowing, as it were, with gratitude uh, in the continuous present tense, which means every day, all the time, our hearts should be welled up and overflowing, cup running over, as it were, with gratitude. Paul's letters, again, give us an amazing instance of 
the uh, prominence he gives to gratitude. The whole of the Christian's life is to be an expression of gratitude for God's grace most powerfully and fully revealed in the person and work of his son, Jesus Christ. But what is gratitude? It is, an, is it innate, universal, able to be summoned at any moment? Or is it spontaneous, provoked or evoked by circumstances in life? Am I grateful for my doctor's tender care until the bill arrives? We cannot make someone feel grateful, as every parent knows, from giving children gifts and waiting for a big fat thank you afterwards. There was a Christmas morning at my house when I have three daughters. And that year, rather than just giving them money, their mother went out and bought gifts for all three of my children. One of them's here, so don't look at her. It's not a flattering story. So we get up on Christmas morning, and we're pretty excited because, you know, it's not just money being handed to them. It's gifts. She had carefully shopped. She had knocked herself out. And so she presents the gifts to them, and they open them one by one, and there was not a smile in the room except for me and Pam. We discovered that day that we were no longer cool anymore. We discovered that our idea of fashion and how to dress was passe. I mean, we were the 60s, 70s, and 80s, man. This was in the 80s. And so not only did we not hear thank you for these gifts, they were undone, incensed, left the room, and went to their rooms. And I looked at Pam and I said, well, Merry Christmas and thank you very much. <laughs> now, since then, they've never done that again. And I might tell you what I said to them as being the reason they never did it again. But I'm not going to because I don't want to pour that out. But that was disappointing. Gratitude is, is something that just can't be compelled. Sometimes you want it, you don't get it back. You, you get rather presumption. Um, it cannot be uh, uh, Legislated, it, it can't be commanded necessarily. Human gratitude, though, is the heart's response to God's grace. It is what God's grace evokes in us. It is what follows from living before the face of God and receiving God's grace. And uh, only God, uh, it is God's grace, only God ultimately from every one of us deserves grace. Because every good gift comes from him and all that we have and all that we are is ultimately evidence of his goodness to us. Every good, good gift comes from him because any action or good work of man not arising from a grateful heart is unacceptable because it's inadequate. It's leaving something out. R.C. Sproul, who was a systematic theologian professor of mine, said this, the essence of theology is grace. The essence of Christian living is gratitude. The more we understand how good God is to us, the more we're overcome by his mercy, the more we are inclined to love him and serve him. We can't get 
If we don't get grace, we're not going to be very grateful. If we don't get our need for grace, we're not going to be very grateful. So that leads me to talk a little bit about what the grace of God is. Because gratitude is evoked or produced by or is the fruit of us understanding the depths of grace. Romans 8, chapter 1, informs us that the ones who are united to Jesus Christ by faith and not works, there is now no condemnation. Our acceptance with God is by sheer, unmitigated grace. We are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is ours in Christ Jesus. Freely means without a cause. Without, it, 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 it is grace. God is not conditioned by any, uh, grace is not conditioned by any quality God may discover in our hearts and lives. God doesn't look at us and say, oh, that's tempos. He deserves my grace. Oh, her, no, she doesn't deserve my grace. Grace by its very definition is undeserved. Grace is not treating people uh, the way they deserve to be treated. Grace is a quality in the heart of God. It is His goodness, His favor, His mercy, and His love showered upon the undeserving and the ill-deserving. It is God being kind to rebels who are enemies with Him. Grace is free for us, but it costs God the, the Son it is uh, God accepts that which is unacceptable, but never in a way that cancels or overrides his justice. The rule of law must be upheld. God must have legal valid grounds to forgive us and to declare us forever right with him. He would cease to be God if he ignored his justice. Christ's living and dying for us are the sole grounds of God's ability to judge us and declare us righteous. The gospel proclaims sinners are saved by objective, concrete acts in space-time history. Justification is not found within some kind of process, but is found in events that happen outside of you. As Jesus lives the life we should have lived, but we can't because we're sinful, and Jesus took the punishment our lives deserve because we're sinful and we fail. And so Jesus is the perfect Savior. Once you see the depth of your sin, particularly the sin of ingratitude, and I'm going to talk about that in a moment in some depth, but once we see how lost we are, once we see how helpless we are, once we see how broken we are, then news of God's grace, the good news of the gospel, becomes something that animates us, that charges us up that gives us spiritual power, that electrifies us, that causes us to go, how could God love a person like me who has rebelled against him, turned my back against him, gone my own way, been my own Lord, been my own Savior, not needing him unless I get in a really tight spot. And so once we see our desperation and our brokenness, then we become grateful. Gratitude emerges out of that. Gratitude is the fruit of seeing that. As God, through the preaching of his word, exposes our sinfulness. Somebody told me one time a few weeks ago, said, Pastor, you talk an awful lot about sin. I said, I'm not scared to talk about it anymore. 
When I was a young preacher, I wouldn't talk that much about sin because I was worried about it. I'm still worried about it, but I'm not afraid of it. Why? Because Christ has taken my sin, and he's dealt with it. And now I have the courage, the existential courage, to be able to look it in the face and see how much I need Jesus. And what that does to me day by day is it evokes in me a sense of gratitude, a sense of gratefulness. So, if that's what gratitude is, and that's where gratitude comes from. What are some obstacles to a grateful heart? What chokes it? What stifles it? What quenches gratitude? The short answer is sin. But what specifically is the root of ingratitude? Paul tells us in Romans 1.21, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. So ingratitude is a heart that fails to honor God as God. A, a heart that fails to live for the glory of God and the glory of God alone. Uh, the chief end of man is to enjoy the Lord and to glorify Him by living forever. What does it mean to glorify God? Paul says people don't glorify God. What does that mean? The word for glory in the Hebrew Bible is kabod. And kabod means heaviness or weightiness or something of substance. God's glory is a reality that is weighty. It's heavy. It's substantial. It cannot be ignored. In the New Testament, the word for glory is the Greek word doxa, from which we get the word doxology, and doxa means that which is worthy of praise. And so to live your life glorifying God means that the weight of your life is not about yourself, but you make much of God and not much of self. You live in submission to God. He is the final authority in your life. He is the Lord. And so a failure to glorify God leads to ingratitude. And it all started back in the Garden of Eden, where Adam and Eve sinned against God in a perfect environment, in the presence of God, where they were experiencing a life of glorifying God, and they sinned because the enemy of our souls seduced them and deceived them. And they express the all-too-human fear that God will not produce what I really need after all. Perhaps we think God's silence equals his impotence or his indifference to our survival. As a result, we turn to something more palpable, more tangible, our own golden calf, as it were, comfortingly real in the face of the God of the Israelites who they couldn't see or know. And so this displacement of God, this poison of Eden, as it were, where we turn from God himself and generally behind a heart of ingratitude is what I would call disappointment, unmet expectations, and a genuine bitterness that God is giving us a raw deal. That is the heart of ingratitude. 
And all of us have had moments where we've thought that, where something has happened to us, perhaps out of the blue, something awful, and we say, God, why did you let this happen to me? Why did you let this intrude into my experience? You must not love me. You couldn't love me and let this happen to me. Maybe you never say it out loud, but it's in your heart. And if it's in your heart, it will eventually come out your lips. It will eventually come out in your living, where you almost have an allergy toward God. Uh, because of, of, of a, a rage, as it were, against him. And so, what happened, as Paul was discussing this in the book of Romans chapter 1, is ingratitude is the result of a willful refusal to let God be your God and let him assume his rightful place in your life. It is followed by a life of idolatry, exchanging his glory for your own images. It is self-worship. And its mission is self-glory. Rather than living for the glory of God, we live for ourselves and our own glory. And so we construct for ourselves other gods that we look to to give our life a sense of meaning, coherence, joy, peace, whatever. And so that's how ingratitude chokes out and stifles, as it were, the grace of God in our lives and our appreciation for it and our love for it. If gratitude is to be our automatic response to grace in the Christian life, why is it that we're often so ungrateful? What is the root cause of ingratitude? Uh, what is the motivational disorder in us that causes ingratitude? And it's found in the Ten Commandments in a very subtle place. You know the Ten Commandments, but the Tenth Commandment says what? Do not covet. Do not covet. Uh, here we have the Big Ten, the Big Ten laws, and yet this is the comprehensive nature of God's character reflected in the law. Paul said he would have never known he was a sinner had he not seen thou shalt not covet. And coveting is idolatry. It is turning from the living God and turning to other gods in your life, I guess I could best put it this way. It's the God we worship who we hope will fulfill our dearest dreams. And it's not the God of the Bible. It's a God of our own making or a God like comfort or pleasure or success or affluence or um, identity. All of those things we look for apart from God as a God to us. Another thing that can stifle gratitude in the life of a believer is sort of a legalistic mindset that works with God on a quid pro quo arrangement. God, I've been good this week. I went to church this Sunday. Therefore, you owe me what? It's sort of a sense of entitlement that a religious people have. I've, I've prayed, I, I've, I've been a, a decent person, I'm a good citizen, I'm a good neighbor, I, I do everything that's expected of me, now you owe me whatever you think he owes you. And that sense of entitlement is so destructive in life. Jesus' call to us is not one of burden, but it is one of, a, of an easy yoke. Uh, nothing undermines and subverts gratitude more than works righteousness. When suffering comes, the person cannot give thanks in all thanksgiving because he feels so betrayed. Uh, 
With this kind of approach, faith, that is trusting God, becomes irrational because God doesn't come through. He doesn't deliver on what I expect, and this is the tip of the iceberg. That's why ingratitude is so rampant. Our expectations have not been met, and the result is a bitterness and actually an anger and hatred toward God, which actually fulfills what the Scripture says is going to happen in the life of people who never believe. I deserve to be treated better than this, but that is ugly fruit from a rotten root. So what creates gratitude? The thing that creates gratitude is the gospel of Jesus Christ. One thing and one thing only creates gratitude. The gospel of grace in Jesus Christ both creates and sustains a grateful heart. To forget something is to no longer allow it to have influence over the present. The most significant cause of an ungrateful heart for a Christian is forgetting the gospel, and it no longer has its influence over us of energizing and vitalizing and electrifying us. To lose the gospel is to fall into either legalism or license, but I've never met a grateful moralist or antinomian. They are like bachelor's wives and nuns' husbands, total oxymorons. The gospel is a renewing dynamic in the Christian life, and it evokes gratitude as it is grasped and understood. Though, through the gospel, I'm more and more faced with the depth of my sin and the terrible wrath and judgment I deserve. The only thing God owes me is I consider my sin is to abandon me forever. I don't get that because Jesus took my place and took that for me. That makes me eternally grateful. Through the gospel, I see that I'm forgiven much, and in response to that, I love much. The gospel creates a Copernican revolution within my heart. Under the power of sin and gratitude and idolatry reign, but now I am no longer under the law, but under the power of grace, and I gladly repent of my self-worship, and my new calling in life is to glorify God, cause Him to be made large in my life, not me to be made large in my life. It's a tough road. I am curved in on myself, but only the joy of the gospel can curve me out of my self-centeredness to minister in love and grace to others. Well, what does a grateful heart look like? How do you know you have one? By way of contrast, ungrateful people are users and takers. Grateful people are lovers and givers. I remember talking to my father one time before I got married and I was talking to him and he was trying to not talk about the facts of life but rather the kind of woman I should be looking for. And he only did this once. He says, son, there are two kinds of people in life. He says, there's givers and there's takers. He said, if two takers marry, not much hope for that. He said, if two givers marry, there's joy in that. A giver and taker marry, it's going to be an unhealthy relationship. He was wiser than I thought he was. We are, we are liberated by the gospel to give. Are you a giver? Do you move out of yourself and respond to others because you're so grateful what, for what Christ has done for you that you move out of yourself and minister to the needs of others? Or are you just a taker? 
Grateful people are lovers and givers. Grace changes the focus of my life for what's in it for me to how can I best serve and build other people up. It moves me from egocentricity to Christocentricity, Christ-centeredness. It moves from a demandingness to a grateful dependence, from a striving to a total rest. Another thing a grateful person looks like is a worshiper. She loves to give God praise and thanksgiving because God and His grace is her ultimate concern and value. I remember as a child going to church, and, uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't go because I chose to go. I, I went because that's what we did on Sunday. And I remember watching people sing the hymns in church. And I remember thinking to myself, what are they so happy about? Why are they, you know, I was bored out of my mind. I hated church music. Uh, you said, well, you just had a bad attitude. That's right, I did. I was a little stinker. And I didn't like it. And I didn't like the words. I, and I couldn't, I said, why are they, why do they enjoy this kind of singing? I got music at home like Led Zeppelin and uh, Grand Funk Railroad and, uh, all these other people that I listen to in the car all the time. Why am I here in church singing this stuff? You know why? Because I didn't have a worshiping heart. I, I didn't want to express any love to Jesus because I didn't have any love for Jesus. I only loved myself. And it was drudgery to me. It was boring. It was not delightful. But those of us who understand the gospel experience joy in it every day. We enjoy spending time with God and having communion with Him. It is the highlight of our week. Another way that the uh, gospel gratitude shows itself is in marriage. It expresses itself as a willingness to give, to love, to spend, and be spent for the other. It asks the question, how can I enhance my mate's glory? A grateful heart studies and finds new ways to love and encourage and praise its spouse rather than criticize. Criticism is the easiest thing in the world to do. To be a Monday morning armchair quarterback is the easiest thing in the world to do. To point out somebody's flaws or faults is the easiest thing in the world to do. But to genuinely praise and encourage and lift up another person takes some creativity and thought. And the joy of the gospel and gratitude causes us to see that the greatest responsibility I have toward my spouse or toward my children is to build them up and edify and encourage. I've often told uh, young couples when I'm counseling them before they get married, and none of them listen to me until it's afterwards, and then they come back two years later, they're going, man, that stuff you told us was right, Pastor Tim. I said, I know. But, one of the things I often tell them is, for every time you're tempted to criticize your wife or your husband, how about praising them ten times? How about praising them? So easy to criticize. So easy to see what's wrong. I mean, I have a PhD degree in finding fault with people, especially when I'm ungrateful. 
But the gospel liberates that from us. It changes our hearts. A grateful person is a generous person, generous with their time and treasure and talent. Their life doesn't consist in the abundance of possessions, but in imitating their generous father by looking for opportunities to show generosity. An ungrateful heart is stingy and small and hard. So ingratitude is a gospel issue and a gospel problem. May we learn to repent of this ugly sin in the face of God's overwhelming grace. May we learn to enjoy a, God, a grateful heart by living out of the power of the good, best good news you'll ever know that sounds too good to be true to most people. And that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Would you now bow your heads, please, and close your eyes. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. It cuts us. It's sharper than a knife. It exposes us. It shows us our heart. But it also energizes us. It brings us life. It creates life in us as we hear it and believe it. And we pray that you would create in us a heart that finds itself grateful daily for even the privilege of knowing you, of being in your kingdom, of having a relationship with you. If we could see ourselves as we really are, we'd be totally amazed by grace every single day. Now, Father, as we continue to worship you, may we give as those who are generous because of the gratitude that fills our hearts. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.